Welcome to another episode of the Experience by Design podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian Mazeros, and today we welcome Christoph Castanero, Head of Connected Experiences at Imagination based in the UK. Christoph is a strategist with 23 years specializing in experiences, working with leading global brands, including Pernod Ricard, Rolls-Royce, Expo 2020 in Dubai, Vodafone, Jaguar Land Rover. Christoph is also a member of the IPA Effectiveness Council, a judge for WARC, and has been featured in publications including the Wall Street Journal and Campaign Magazine. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Christoph to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Really excited to, uh, to chat with you. Great. Hey, Brian. It's great to chat again. Looking forward to see where we can take this. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So how are you? How is, how is everything going? It's great, thanks. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting year, not, you know, notwithstanding all the stuff that's been going on around the world. Uh, in the world of experiences, uh, you know, you and I obviously be working a long time. It's been um, really exciting in some ways and obviously really difficult in others. So, you know, and in terms of sort of work-life balance, there's been big changes there. You know, I've been finding more time to write things at home and, and get a bit more headspace. But equally, if you're thinking about working on experiences and sort of sitting down with colleagues and workshopping things with clients, that's kind of tough to do remotely. So it's funny, there's been some great things uh, in some areas, but generally, you know, I'm looking forward to getting back to some rebalancing physical, digital yes. normality, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think all of us can, can, can definitely say the same. So can you talk a little bit, just um, for context, a little bit about imagination and, and what you focus on over there at the, at the agency? Sure, sure. So well, imagination, we are uh, an experience agency and we kind of do consulting, we do design and we also kind of deliver and create the experiences as well. Um, and some of the things that we've been doing over the years uh, that some of the listeners might know, for example, we uh, did the original concept uh, and creation for the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin, which is a fantastic brand home. Um, we work uh, on many sort of live experiences, such as the Sydney New Year's Eve fireworks celebrations that kind of open up the, the wave of New Year celebrations. Um, and we also work on other things, for example, content pieces. Uh, we did some recent great content for the launch of the Land Rover Defender. And that was filmed in Kazakhstan and that was kind of doing some crazy terrain stuff that only the Defender can do. So there was some, yeah, a real kind of range of things there that, that I find really exciting. And... In terms of my role, um, Head of Connected Experiences, it kind of started out as, I guess, a kind of a CX, uh, digital strategy role. Uh, it's kind of evolved over time um, and become much more of a holistic strategy role now. So I'm kind of looking at, you know, business strategy. Um, I'm looking at creative strategy, you know, classic creative strategy, but also looking at things like um, engagement strategy, you know, and the whole advent of, uh, I guess you could call it the digitization of experiences has kind of seen an acceleration in that, in that particular area, I think has been really interesting and worth exploring. So how, how do you see, I mean, it, you know, I think this is kind of a interesting time for all of us because in, in some sense it's really exciting because I think it, it really kind of puts us in a position to challenge the way that we create experiences given it's, it's a new, it's a new world. It's a new, there's new behaviors so, I mean, what, what are some of the challenges that you've seen or, or just the conversations you've had with the brands that you work with and, and what are they thinking about as we now start to you know, look to a, a different world of, of, of reopening, uh, new behaviors, new ways of communicating? Yeah, I think that's, um, I mean, that's been an interesting topic. And one of my, the key things for me, you know, when the, when the pandemic hit, you know, as, as the strategy director, I thought to myself, how can we, how can we sort of 
explore this and one of the things that we were seeing were kind of like lots of manuals coming out from different agencies about clean events safe events and i was just like like you know that's just a race to the bottom i was like let's think about reimagining experiences yeah. to be honest you know it's easy it's understandable why people wouldn't do that but actually trying to think of ways to kind of seize the moment and be innovative um so we kind of, we wrote a, a playbook um and we talked about things like using more touchless technology things like more curated experiences um things like building experiences around at-home experiences for people. And what we found is you know, clients are in three camps. They either had to do something and we worked with them to do something. Rolls-Royce and Samsung, by example, we did some great virtual sort of hybrid concepts for them that were very different in their out kind of output, but, but ultimately used some of those principles that I'd started working on with the team. Some clients were like, just wait, 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 see what happens. And they didn't have a commercial imperative to launch something, for example. They were able to kind of put their head in the sand a little bit and try and ride it out. And then some clients uh, just did a lot of DIY, you know, just start doing their own recordings of things, regardless of the quality. Uh, and, you know, made some mistakes, but also did some great stuff. So you kind of saw different things. Like I say, do, do it yourself, get the agency to help yep. or hope, hope it blows over now. It's been, you know, over a year and, you know, I kind of did a re-update of that playbook uh, around the beginning of the year when I started to see some things that were kind of changing and some things that were kind of staying the same. And, for example, suddenly thinking to ourselves, well, let's get clients to invest in a whole bunch of new technologies rather than just uh, touch screens. Well, that, that was fine in principle, but no client has the money to suddenly just reinvest in a whole load of gesture technology. So actually mobile phones came in. Because people maybe weren't being as hygienic as they wanted to be, but they were still tapping their phones, right? So yeah. that's become the device uh, that's really accelerated things in terms of how, you know, you can interact between experiences digitally, for example, I think. And that's been really exciting to sort of see some more creative possibilities there. Do you think that, I mean, being in that position, it seemed like a lot of us were, is that clients gave us the opportunity to be you know, creative once again. You know, there was no, no rules, there was no... I don't want to say the word accountability, but you weren't held necessarily to an ROI for because you, you just didn't know how people would react to it. I mean, do you, did you enjoy, I mean, what was that freedom kind of like for you, I mean, in being in that position? It's uh, fantastic, to be honest. And, you know, it kind of went through different phases. You know, originally, like I say, there was the kind of like experiment, let's do something and, you know, manage expectations. Uh, but also when you did those things, you discovered new things. So, for example... Many clients found that by doing a virtual version of their media launches, they actually reach more media. Uh, and yeah, that wasn't the same rich experience it should be in person, but they found there was kind of a new way to do things. Um, and what that kind of got me thinking was actually there was kind of this initial reaction, as I say, of doing something. Uh, you know, and obviously experiences, it's not new to kind of digitize experiences. You know, we've got live TV and we've got social media live and all of these other things that have been around way before COVID hit. Um, but what we found is initially there was this kind of drive to kind of recreate experiences um, online and that doesn't work. You, you just have to reimagine them online. You just have to create something new that's kind of another way of doing experiences online. You know, there are lots of techniques. Uh, I, I remember a really cool example was uh, Netflix did this thing where you could uh, order like a candle and you could watch along with this candle and the scent of the candle would kind of give you different moods as you watch the content. So we kind of played with that. You know, we sent like sensory boxes to people for a couple of automotive luxury brands. And we explored with, you know, you can do remote tastings and things with the drinks yeah. brand. So you can do some of that physical stuff. Um, but ultimately, you've got to kind of look at different combinations, I reckon, of these sort of physical and technology formulas and see what you can come up with. And that, as you say, 
um, was just really liberating. Um, but, you know, there were some things that didn't work too. And I think to having a test and learn sort of mindset, as they say, that cliche could not be more true, you know, in the last year. And I think clients that have just gone for it and been bold, the one maybe the ones that didn't have a commercial imperative, but decided to crack on anyway and do something, they're being rewarded because they've learned. And, and the benefit also is they've actually seen their customers sort of saw them acting and reacting and seeing them being relevant and still being part of their lives you know and that's important as well because otherwise some you know some brands i think have kind of lost a lot of share of voice i think over the last year the ones that have kind of been a bit passive i guess do you do you think it's hard for some because some brands i think i think found a new voice on social you know i I think they found a a new way to communicate and i think now that they kind of set themselves up for this unique challenge to where they keep that consistency in the voice as people start to come back into a retail setting or into a museum or, or so on. I mean, do you, do you see that challenge and how do you, you know, take the way that they've shaped their brand or reshaped their brand online and continue that same type of customer engagement that they had? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting area too. And it's, it's all about relationships, isn't it? Because suddenly, suddenly the need to kind of just, just keep awareness of things felt kind of irrelevant and shouty. Like, hey, look at us. People are like, sorry, I'm thinking about school or pro- jobs. So one, when they switched tactics and started, you know, getting past the whole let's show everybody doing sort of nurse things or whatever it was that was like public sector pretense, like, let's be honest, some of that was a bit transparent. Finally, they got to something authentic and they started doing activations or stories or creating things or creating conversations and involving their own people in some of those conversations who are actually having struggles or problems or just bringing humor to the game or bringing escapism into the game and I think those are the things that really resonated um I know for example um that for example some of the some of the brand homes uh actually in louisville in the states um a great brand rabbit hole uh bourbon they yep, I know they switched well. all their yeah right so they switched all of their um brand home tours that were happening physically all of the staff that were doing that just became virtual hosts they'd already kind of played with this service and they just kind of like just dialed it up uh, all their staff were able to pivot as they say to something virtual but still that human conversation like we're having now virtual drinks delivered remotely which kind of works at the price point of bourbon and um, yeah and, and they managed to kind of you know roll into something new and what they found was that suddenly they were having this conversation you know we, we did a piece of research recently um and we found something like uh 70% of people are up for doing some sort of brand home experience virtually. And, you know, I think the point is if you create an experience for them, it might not be the same as the, the actual physical visit, obviously, but actually it could be something really exciting to explore again creatively. Um, and every brand's got its own formula, its own ecosystem yeah, true. to play with. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, I think the thing that was kind of interesting, and I think to your point, I mean, a lot of brands are trying to figure out the at-home model. And I think some of it came across as forced. Some of it was un- not authentic. That's right. And I think you're right. I mean, the brands that went the mile of, you know, thinking through exactly the packaging it arrived into or the aromas or the actual actions they were asking of, even right down to these interactions too, you know, as far as, um, you know, using Zoom because there's, you know, as we all realize, there's a thousand ways to use Zoom appropriately and inappropriately. Um, so I think that's that's been kind of interesting. I, I wanted to go back, you know, you were talking about experimentation and touchless tech. And I feel like that's one area where I think all of us have learned a lot. Um, I think in one part, and, and maybe you went through the same journey, you know, we have clients that asked us, how do you reimagine the interactives that you created for us that have been working? And how do you think about touchless tech? And at first, you know, we were, okay, let's, you know, we'll try it. We'll you know, look at haptics. We'll, we'll look at gesture. We'll look yeah. at 
maybe more use of, of NFC or uh, other touchless sensors. And then you start to kind of realize that, yes, it works, but then that changes the whole user experience. And it takes it away from the point that you design the application for. And, and you know, if you need to, for example, I mean, simplest thing is if you need to add in an email or, or a number, you know, that's a hard ask of a person who's unfamiliar with gesture. You know, how do you use your hand? So now all of a sudden you open up this whole social awkwardness of people acting very, you know, weird and awkward and now not wanting to even interact with it. Had, had you gone through that similar type of journey or is that, or is that just me? Did we... No, not at all. I totally agree with that. And I would say, you know, we've, we've got a really active sort of R&D lab team. And actually, we've, we've kind of had situations where over the last 10 years, we've been building things, you know, um, before the kind of they became commercialized or productized by lots of the platforms out there. So we did sort of DIY versions. And they, those things really work when you do like a PR launch or a small control group where demo-itis doesn't matter. As soon as you take it up to scale, right? Uh, to mass consumer scale, like the, the, my, you know, the grandma, my uncle, my dad, me, on the stand, time poor, or whatever it is on the on the on the booth, people just people just don't want to look foolish, and uh, those things don't work. And to be honest with you, a a lot of people still touch the screen and just want you to clean it, <laughs> to be honest. Or b you could just uh, put kind of one of those kind of like uh, infrared scanners over it and kind of put a very simple bit of tech on top of it. C, get the host to just type it for them. <laughs> but the thing that's working the most is just get them on their phones because they're still tapping that uh, themselves. And because it's kind of in there now, it's part of you almost. And I think that's been the thing that's worked. I think voice has kind of come into its own a little bit, but hard to control the noise uh, kind of pollution in the environment with the voice. I think with gesture, as you say, it, it's it, there is no universal language of gesture yet. You know, I'm still struggling to get sort of the get the Hololens thing working, and I'm you know the, the nudge and twist and stuff. And I'm you know I'm used to this stuff. So th this comes back to another barrier around um, even things like VR. You know, when you create a virtual environment, you know nobody wants to like virtually zap their way along a shopping mall for two miles. <laughs> you, you just you can you can recreate a whole new user interface. I think I would say what this whole COVID thing's taught us is that. You can't get away from the mass adoption and, and behavior around the devices that are available now. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the trick for us. So I think we've definitely seen more clients experimenting with it, and that's going to accelerate the adoption of them in time. But I wouldn't say we've seen a mass migration to, to new forms of interaction, really. I think what's happened is the mobile phones become even more important. And whereas things in places like China, the QR code thing has kind of made a big comeback in the last few years. Um, you've just seen that QR code thing just zip right up in kind of Western it won't, markets. It won't disappear. It right? will continuously uh, just be there. That's for me the thing. So you know, even NSC's got obviously limitations with the with the with the different systems behind it. Um, so I think QR looks like the, the big winner here, and mobile looks like the big winner here. So integration with that is the way to go for me in terms of mass audience. Anyway, I wonder. I, I, I wonder where you know things such as is a little bit more with AI and visual recognition and and even. You know, different sensors that are that are reacting to motion and or proximity sensors. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the replacement with the QR code because it does establish that connection with the phone. But I, I think those are some interesting technologies to look at. More probably more in the experiential world where you're you're never really asking a person to interact directly. It's more indirect. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Like uh, microlocations technology, right? It's super uh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Super interesting, yeah. And I think I think um, there's some stuff we've been looking at recently where you can actually get the right balance of um, 
you know, get the right balance of knowing where your location is beyond the GPS level so that I might know that you're in this part of the booth or this part of the experience space. And then you don't have to have all the opt-ins with cameras. You can kind of use it anonymously, like kind of like physical cookies, right? So you can kind of build an experience around people that way. Uh, and I think it's a really interesting space that I'm, I've seen some cool stuff happening in. I mean, you, you see it here to a degree. I mean, I think that, actually, I think the one brand, I mean, kind of getting away from retail degree was, was Domino's. Um, you know, I kind of joke as, as much as I love going to the, the local pizzeria, I mean, Domino's, I think, set themselves up very nicely. And, you know, with proximity, I mean, you can go and, and pick up and they can recognize through geo, you know, location that this is where um, you're at. So I think that that's kind of cool. And I think I could see a lot more of that happening. The, the one part I'm, I'm kind of curious, you mentioned VR and, and some of these other technologies that, you know, going through this adoption period. I think authenticity is such a critical component of, of any of these for adoption. And, you know, VR, I think it's just been one of those technologies where you see more experiences that, that are meaningless or that are just there for the sake of using the tech versus something that's authentic to the brand. And it seems in, in some cases through the pandemic, you know, some VR experiences were forced. I, I know it's still, you know, it, it, it's, it's coming on strong. Um, you know, even with conferences, I mean, South by Southwest did it for, for some of their, uh, you know, meet and greets and, and, uh, so I'm kind of curious what, you know, your thoughts on, on VR and, and, and where does that play in, in the landscape? So we've been on such a journey with VR. I mean, we, you know, we, um, one of our techies, Peter, he, he was doing VR, uh, stuff back in 95 1995 for Ford with their Galaxy launch right and he was duct taping headsets onto things and doing all that you know like lawnmower man stuff that's and, brilliant and <laughs> it is great you know so it's been around for a while and and there's sort of two things about it. I think it's I think it's really exciting when you can build proper brand worlds around it and build something that is there for the user that's not trying to recreate reality a bad version of right and I think also we look at the tidal wave of e-gamers that are using virtual worlds to interact with their friends. My son, for example, who's you know do it playing Fortnite and a bunch of other games. That generation, they're going to naturally kind of take to the to the um, virtual worlds and then be able to sort of move out of the gaming world into that. But on the other side, you've got a the the the, the, the sort of hardware barrier. I think you know if you talk to a media agency like Dentsu or or, or whatever, they're going to tell you that. The, the VR world is not kind of got the, the numbers yet for that kind of uh, media buying opportunity. You know, yeah. the numbers it hits are not a media buy. They're still a kind of PR play or a gaming play or a kind of in-depth play. And that's a problem if you want to hit numbers and, and kind of reach numbers that you would hit with like, a, you know, Instagram TV or live. And then the other side to it and the other downside to it is um, I think it's still an expensive environment to create if you're not in the business of creating it. And therefore, you've seen some awful, to be honest, like, you know, virtual conferences where you can kind of look around the stand. And actually, they kind of work for people that, uh, that are perhaps a bit older. They've not used VR before and it feels quite interesting. But what you actually do when you get into it is the, the user experience is, I was saying earlier, it's kind of clunky. You know, do you want to you don't want to sort of virtually walk around a stand in VR. You want to be teleported right. and you want to be right. in like lifts and elevators and all sorts of different places that are playing with the medium right because you've got complete agency and control of it just like you would uh, in a computer game so somehow that that world that alignment of the right devices the right prices the right kind of design processes around vr world does not kind of reach maturity i, I do think covid accelerated it though brian i reckon i reckon we're seeing something happening 
Is it? Is it? You think it's venue dependent? And I kind of put this out there because you know you saw like Oculus venues, which I thought was a was an interesting concept because obviously you know I love going to concerts, love going to live entered you know just live events, and to not have that for a year, it's hard. It's hard, and and to see something like that come back. And I'm thinking, wow, that, that's great. You know, I've come accustomed to the online concerts. I love seeing that. But I think having the, the virtual layer to it is, is interesting. But then when you see something like that, you know, shut down, I, you know, what does that say for the future of, you know, of, of, of VR? I mean, it does, does it come back to just more retail and, and brand and to where live venues and, and entertainment really doesn't have a, a play into VR or? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's all about economics. You know, like if it if you've got an ecosystem that's rich enough to warrant a VR world, like a, a, an online game platform that's going to exist for like ten years, uh, you know, a brand home, uh, a city, um, you've got a good reason to use the complexity of VR and therefore uh, uh, be able to uh, deal with the cost of VR in terms of cost per head per, for production cost, right? Um, if you're just trying to do a VR thing for a, a piece of I mean, AR is different, augmented reality, you can do kind of tactical stuff. But VR, you just got to really, you're in for a penny, in for a pound, as we say in England. And you, you've just got to kind of get it to work in that way. And that's, I think, the problem. When people sort of take on VR projects, they try to either do something really basic that doesn't really use the medium, or they just completely underestimate where the roadmap will take them. And then they kind of run out of cash, run out of road, run out of ideas. Yeah. Uh, and that maybe is where things are going. So I think. You're just going to see more specialization in what VR does. I know it's working really well in B2B, virtual reality diagnostics, uh, uh, virtual reality in the medical sphere, virtual reality in city planning. That's working. It is for consumer, if for consumer stuff, it's working in gaming and rich worlds. Um, and some brands, let's face it, they, they, some brands have a really long heritage and history of characters and stories and people. They could build a world around their heritage. Some brands you know, uh, uh, kind of as, as deep as the, the packaging. <laughs> and, and that doesn't really work for VR worlds, I don't think. So it's an interesting one. Do you think, I mean, just, just kind of looking at the landscape in general, and, you know, this is something I just kind of thought of as you were talking. Um, do you think the pressure is, is more on the agency or more of the, you know, producer or creator of the technology, you know, for, for today? It kind of seems like we've always run the situation. Technology is always, you know, miles ahead of where we are light years ahead of, of where you know brands are and then now it seems like you know it's sort of kind of, everything's sort of kind of caught up a little bit you know i think agencies have been really pushed to be creative agencies for a change um and, and not fall behind tech or afraid to use technology i mean do you, do you see that they're i don't know the pressure is equal to both for technology you know vendors to create something you know a bit more innovative or have a tool at our disposal as as designers to to think about how we can apply that i mean where do you see that at now? i think it's um it's got to be a partnership um you, you know like uh th there's some stuff that you know there's there's some really cool stuff going on with epic games working with different partners um there's various grants that governments are putting in to kind of accelerate this kind of joining up of the of the streams um i think in the end like we've got, you know, we've got some great technologists in our, in our agency, like Anton and Simon, you know, good friends. And I think you just have to put them in the right room with the right strategy team, the right creatives, and just come up with things that kind of merge the, the potential of the technology with the needs of the user with the great idea. And I think without kind of putting those people in a room to join up these vectors, I, I think you're going to continue to see the hardware guys not quite getting the right solution. Yeah, the creative guys overselling or overdesigning things that you can't yet do in the tech. And then the consumers going, getting caught in the middle of the two. You know, and I've seen some 
great concepts go from mood into you know value engineering and into into production and really working. Uh, you know, we've did um, we did a uh, an a- AR VR tool for Jaguar Land Rover retail that really worked, and I, I worked on that thing right back in the day, and it had a really simple store and a really simple navigation, and it never got complicated, and that worked. And then I've seen us kind of design full sort of VR worlds for launches. And because it was for a launch, it was kind of okay to kind of do a bigger investment and make that big play to get into the sort of wide magazines and stuff. But I've also seen stuff where we've just never been able to get the concept to live up to the reality. Things have fallen away. And I think that why they fall away is because you don't have the client, the technologists, the creatives and the strategy kind of teams all around the table all the time. Yes. You know? Very refreshing to hear you say that. Very you've got, you just got to you've got to you've got to work together because the only client knows how to kind of work inside their business and pivot this or pivot that or, or find a way to you know the technologist needs to be in the game to to help you find solutions. The creatives need to keep pushing the edge of it, and the strategist needs to say why we're we doing this, <laughs> and not and not just because at some point you can say just do something on Twitch or don't do this at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you, do you think though? I mean, is that do you find it easier to get into a situation with with a brand and 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 have that kind of proper strategy session. I always felt that it was a, such a struggle, you know, still to a degree of, of having the client go through this process of, of, of ideation and brand discovery and consumer analysis. I mean, do you find it easier to have that conversation or or just to have them commit to that process? Um, it's, it's super interesting because um, you know, I've been at Imagination a long time. And when I started, uh, which was 16 years ago, uh, experiences were very much still sort of sat in the world of PR departments, uh, you know, and uh, the most marketing integration you got was when there was a big PR launch and the ad guys would get some paid behind it, generally speaking, right? And of course, but then 2010 hit, which was around um, around three, four years after I started there. And then suddenly you had the ability to kind of amplify experiences on social platforms. And that's obviously grown and grown. For example, we start, We were building features back in the day that in social platforms like Twitch have now built into their platform. So we don't need to build the plugins as an agency. They just exist and we just build. We just find the next plugin they haven't built yet, which is the 5G world. We're now sort of looking at building 5G plugins because those things aren't supported by platforms yet because, of course, the volume isn't there yet. So we'll continue to kind of work on the edge tech as platforms kind of build these features out. And in that time, I've just seen this, this, this kind of change and I've seen... I've seen clients go from being really analog in the world of experiences or very PR focused to then going, okay, I get now I get content, I get social, I've got a marketing kind of mindset going out. Let's talk more and more to our marketing teams now. Then you've seen this evolution of data and registrations and apps in the last sort of five years, and, that, and that's kind of taken off. And now, finally, you get a sense that the uh, experienced clients have seen their strategic role. Because, you know, in the world, if you take the kind of strategic view on experiences rather than just saying events, they're kind of, they're the offline glue of reality that can join up all the kind of online stuff that is obviously already connected and measured to the hilt, you know. Yeah. And if you get this, you know, they call it OMO, you know, offline merge online. But for me, it's super exciting now because all of our experienced clients realize that they are part of the strategic conversation around connecting with customers. And you've got to find the right type of experience you've got to find the right cost per head you've got to find the right medium the right brief um, you've got to almost see experiences in the same way that a media planner sees advertising space and start to look at horses for courses and plan the numbers and plan where you can do it and when you do it and uh, for me it's been super exciting to kind of go on this journey when I started in marketing before I was in imagination I was doing you know brand marketing and advertising things like that 
And all of the stuff I was working with the media agencies on now, it just applies in this new world to experiences. So now we're the experience planners and we're thinking about the right ways to give our clients the right types of experience. And in the end, design really great things for our customers, right? And But um, going back to your point about the sort of clients, some of them have been on a very rapid journey in terms of taking on that more strategic way of thinking. For example, not telling us what it is and giving us time to work out what it should be or taking some time to do some research, uh, taking some time to break down some silos within their teams to get a bit, bit of a, maybe a better budget or try to integrate better. And all of them are doing that. But it's not easy, you know, if you, if you come from, say, the pure play world of logistics, hospitality, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big switch, switch to go to like a digital world. And similarly, if you're coming from the world of marketing where you're living in the world of content all the time, you get put in charge of like a brand experience center and you're dealing with hospitality and day-to-day I mean, it's the most rich kind of, let's call it the most rich direct marketing channel in the world. So it's uh, what, again, you have to do is almost, um, you know, I talked about bringing together strategists, technologists, uh, creatives and clients together for that. In the world of experience, I found the best thing is to get all the different types of experience skill set in the room, analog, digital, you know, the planners, the doers, everybody. And just work out how you get there because you can't you can't get there without all the people that make it happen. No, but that's been the challenge. I, I think people have, 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 I think brands have, have not really understood, or maybe just sort of taken for granted that experience just happens versus oh, for sure. There's a there's a planning and there's a process behind it. Yeah, because um, we're so we're so kind of like we'll get it done uh, anytime. Just give us the brief. We'll turn it around. There is this kind of uh, yeah. I would say. You know, one of my old bosses said there's no reliance on the 91st minute overhead sort of goal uh, in the soccer match. Uh, and you can't work like that now. Uh, I mean, you can still turn that stuff around and we still do. And, and like, but, but you've got to you've got to take a kind of take a moment to slow things down and plan things out properly and be agile and be responsive and flexible, too, of course. Do you see budgets following that that model, though? Like, do, you, do you see those, um, you know, the, the pounds coming over to support? those types of, of initiatives now? I mean, are, are clients willing to invest in that? It's, it's interesting. I think we've seen, we've seen kind of spend on live uh, go down in terms of tactical spend on live, like pop-ups and, uh, and launches. But on the same side, we're seeing more spend going on in things like um, more permanent brand homes or retail, integrated retail, um, and sort of hybrid virtual experiences are kind of there. So, But every single sector's got different cost models. You know, I would definitely say, for example, that the virtual event budget levels are not the same levels as the as the physical uh, budget levels, and you have to kind of adapt to that. So that's a really good point. And you know, I I was kind of doing some analysis around um, what the cost per heads are. You know, we've got a we've been looking at data for years on this. Here, one of my data strategists helps me with this. And you know, we we look at the cost per head of experiences. And truthfully, when you get the new paradigm, might well be. You focus a bit more on targeted experiences for physical experiences outside of festivals and the big ones like that. I'm talking about owned events and invited events. And you might find in parallel with that, you find a way to almost turn them into like TV studios to reach the big numbers of your fans. But some brands, right, they, they don't want to spend £200 per head on, a, on what they might see as a tire kicking fan when they want to spend £200 per head on me or you who might say buy a car tomorrow. So there's a bit of tension in this now, which I think we're seeing. And I think we're also seeing... While B2C is going to push, come back strong, I think, with experiences, I think B2B, uh, the flight restrictions, the, the financial control on expenses, yep. I don't think they're going to come back in quite the same way. I agree. My view would be, and this is just talking to some different clients, 
when you do a B2B experience, it may be that there's le they're less frequent, but they're richer. They're more, they're more like a Swiss army knife. You know, they're doing more things for you. Uh, and therefore you kind of rely on a hybrid of like really big moment physical experiences to really connect together and do loads of different things, sales, negotiations and training. Yeah. And But at the other side, you might do more virtual things more frequently too. But it's, it's uh, to your point though, it's, it's when you do more to B2B and on that with the frequency, I mean, you're, you're expecting a higher outcome. I mean, your higher conversion, you know, for, for that. So, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot more planning involved with that. I think the B2C, like you said, I mean, the frequency needs to be there, but the impact doesn't necessarily have to be this this large driven experience to have that same type of recurring response, I guess, from, yeah, from, yeah, from the Yeah, I think user. you're right. Yeah, like experiences issue has always been, if you compare it to typical media channels like, you know, I don't know, video on demand or, or the media agencies will tell you that experiences don't hit the frequency levels that you need to keep uh, in front of mind for, for consumers. What I think is interesting is, that virtual experiences and hybrid experiences give you this kind of like frequency layer build, built on top of the physical uh, experiential layer that you can sort of put the two together. And I think you're kind of seeing a third way, you know, between classic mass media, more targeted experiences physically, and this kind of hybrid thing kind of joining the dots up a little bit, which I think is quite cool. It's very interesting. So, I, so I'll have to, I, 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 you know, since we've, we've gone up really high in this dialogue, <laughs> We'll come down a little bit here. So, uh, so I assume if you mention rabbit hole, you're a bourbon drinker. Is, I kind of like that... it actually, but my 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 drink of choice is actually uh, kind of cognac. I love okay. Martel oh, cognac. Okay, uh, okay. But then you know, cause I'm half French, right? So I, I do. I've got my sure. Martel side, and then I've also got, and that's from cognac, which is near Bordeaux, where my my dad's from. But uh, then also just love you know ales and you know yeah. any kind of like. Uh, you know, any kind of pale ale or anything like that, and obviously some great brews coming out of the US. Uh, and there's lots. Yes, of there are. I mean, yes, it's just are. great, you know. So that I've been just to be honest, we're doing a little bit more exper experimentation, exploration of that than I normally would, you know, in the kind of boredom at times. So <laughs> I it's think been good fun, I think all know? of us have. Yeah, <laughs> I think know, all of us have. Good fun, but you know, getting getting uh, yeah, getting experimenting with that. But you know, in the end, I just can't wait to get out and kind of just enjoy it with friends. You know, that's the thing. It's not the same, right? No, it's 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 not. So I, you know. I think there's a lot of optimism right now. I mean, there's a lot of good energy. And uh, you know, I think, you know, I mean, we're seeing, you know, more brands are having more conversations and, and uh, so it's a fun time. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I love where agencies are positioned and being just creative. And, uh, you know, obviously with creativity at the end of the day comes a good bourbon. So yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, that's yeah. I, I do, I do. It's funny. I, you know, I, I remember rabbit hole. I mean, my, my quick little story, because we, we were doing a project um, that just wrapped up just prior to the everything shut down down in Louisville, and uh, we stayed at the hotel. It was a, somewhat across the street from Rabbit Hole, and so we went over there for a tour and uh, ended up meeting the owner and heard the story behind Rabbit Hole. And I guess the name came from he had done a couple um, or a couple of distilleries before, or so and, and he, he turned to his wife and about this whole new idea, and he asked her if she wanted to join him in the Rabbit Hole to go down the Rabbit Hole, and then hence the how the name ended up coming out. Uh, but they have a great tasting room. It's a good over. It has a has a good um, view of the skyline of Louisville. It's a, it's a great way to end the day. So uh, yeah, that's exactly it. And I can't, you know, I've, I've been working and talking to some of these um, different clients over the last year, and I just can't wait to get the opportunity just to you know to meet in person and and just yeah, just to, you know just enjoy it because in the end, you know, the experience is just part of everyday life. You know, and people just took them for granted maybe to some extent. Uh, and now it's like, wow, we just can't wait to get back and, and get cracking, I think. Yeah, I agree. 
Well, Christoph, thank you very much for joining me. It's always a pleasure to uh, to chat with you. Um, if you can let everyone know how they can um, find you, learn more about imagination, um, where you live out there in, in, the, in the social world. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of I'm kind of quite on social. Do a bit of Instagram, but main thing, I guess, my LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on my LinkedIn, uh, so easy to find me. Just my name, and then uh, if you want, if you wanted to sort of check out um, any sort of thought pieces and things, I'm kind of ramblings and writings then you can find some of those things on the imagination website we've got like an insights section and some of the things i've written and uh, published or not are kind of on there as well as some of my colleagues doing some great stuff so yeah always worth checking things out uh, and just keep talking to each other i think that's what we've all got to do in the experience industry and i see where we can take things now and keep that creativity flowing really i agree i agree well thank you again and uh thank you for listening to this episode of the experience by design podcast you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at OpenEyeGlobal, and I'm also on Twitter as well at Brian Mazaros. Until next time, thanks for listening.